The road to my dream job began with me trying to snag a free trip to Portland. At the time, I was working as the director of Chicago Portfolio School, and I wanted to visit a friend in Portland. I thought if I made it a business trip, then I could get a paid flight. I remember that I had a connection with Deb Morrison. She's a professor at University of Oregon. I'd known Deb for several years, but not very well, and we'd run into each other once a year at conferences. So I called up Deb, and I asked if I could give a talk. She said yes. So I went to my then boss and said, Deb Morrison, you know, professor at University of Oregon, has asked me to come speak. Flight was booked. It was officially a work trip. The talk, which was about how to get your dream job, went great, and I enjoyed the rest of the weekend with friends. A year later, I got a call from Deb asking if I was interested in a cool opportunity at a SoCal ad agency called 72 and Sunny. At the time, I was taking a year-long creative sabbatical. I was busy making no money and a lot of art. I'd never heard of 72 and Sunny and was in the middle of a big project. So I said, thanks for thinking of me, Deb, but I'm going to pass. Six months later, I realized I missed collaborating on a daily basis and I missed routine, which are things that come with a job. And there's plenty of financial reasons, of course, to get a job. But it was nice to know emotionally I really wanted one. But I had no idea what the next move would be. So I called up Deb and I thought surely she would offer some sound advice. When we spoke, I asked about what happened to that great opportunity at 72 and Sunny just out of curiosity. And she said she was literally sending them a new list of candidates as we speak, which initially made me think, if the job was so great, why are you still looking for someone six months later? She said she kept trying to find someone like me. She told me more about the opportunity, which was to design and run a creative residency program within 72 and Sunny called 72U. And the more I learned about the opportunity, the more excited I got. I wrote down pages and pages of curriculum ideas and social experiments and how I would structure the program, I couldn't stop thinking about what the program could be. During the interview, I shared all my ideas with the partners and told them I was so impressed with 72 and Sunny's mission to be a platform for personal growth and professional growth that no matter what happened, if they hired me or not, they were welcome to take my ideas. I just wanted to contribute to the vision. I guess they couldn't deny the passion that poured out of me and I got the job. It's funny to think that in trying to finagle a free trip to Portland by giving a talk on how to get your dream job, I landed my own. My name is Maria Salepi, and I'm the director of 72U. Celebrating the work, lives, and achievements of women in Western North America, The Drum presents Exceptional Women Out West, hosted by The Drum North America Editor-at-Large, Doug Zanger. So we're going to start with three questions here. What do you think others believe your superpower is? And then what would you say your superpower is? I would say other people would think my superpower is connecting with people. It's my gut response when I talk to someone. I can't help but think, who could I introduce them to? Like, who should they know? So connecting with people is my currency. And I would say, well, can I have two superpowers? Well, you can. No, it, I, power is plural. Okay. That's okay, fine. Great, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I did say it singularly, but... You, you, not all of us have a singular superpower. Okay. So I would say my superpower, I have two of them. Okay. One would be empowering others and the other would be creating opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really drawn to passionate people and I love collaboration. So when I can bring passionate people together and they end up making something, that is like the jackpot for me. Mm-hmm. I also love creating opportunities and I do that a lot in my you know, job now. I'll meet someone and kind of figure out what the overlap is and how we could work together. And sometimes, like, for example, um, 
I met an engineer from Two Bit Circus, and he's really passionate about game design. And so we started talking about game design, and I, of course, my brain is going, "Ooh, that would be a cool project. Maybe we could bring him in, and he could collaborate." And a year went by. I never forgot about him, and it seemed like the right opportunity for a project that could utilize. You know, two bit circus or partner with them. So I called him up. I said, "Hey, do you remember me? We met, you know, a year ago at a networking event. And what are you going on? What are, what are you doing?" And I reminded him what I was doing, and we designed an opportunity to collaborate. And my team ended up making an interactive installation for the Steam Carnival that they put on in San Francisco. I love that art permeates that superpower. That's something that I think. In this industry, sometimes people shy away from a little bit. It's like, I'm kind of artistic. You know, I I was speaking with someone earlier and they were saying the most important thing is bringing the whole self. So it's so you're a skateboarder outside of life, but you're also a skateboarder in your work. Mm -hmm. You're you're a skateboarder in life. You're a skateboarder in work and bringing the whole self. And I love the fact that you've never wavered from that piece of that. I, I mean, art clearly is something that motivates you. Yeah. I can't turn it off. Like I'll meet someone at two in the morning and I'm, you know, at a party (laughs) and I'm like, how do they fit in? Or I went to a a party where there's like a VJ and I was like, oh my God, those visuals are amazing. Who is that? And I I tracked down where the VJ was and introduced myself and telling about 72U. So yeah, it's, it's definitely ingrained. I like that. What's, what was your biggest loss and how did you deal with it? My biggest loss was my hair and actually It wasn't so much the actual hair, although that did take my breath away. It was, um, it signified a much larger issue, which was that I was in a big rut personally and professionally. And that was my wake up call. At the time, I was kind of looked like I had a great life on paper. I was Mm -hmm. an art director in New York and I was dating my copywriter, which was wonderful. And, you know, just had a job on Madison Avenue and I was making commercials and Super Bowl spot. And I mean, things looked good. But really, inside, I was miserable, and I was kind of found myself in a toxic situation. So that was uh, that was probably the lowest point in life. How'd you deal with it? Well, I caught my breath and mm-hmm. did a comb over, mm-hmm. and then I decided my birthday was two weeks away, and so I decided that I was going to give myself the ultimate birthday gift and resign by cupcake. On my birthday. Get out. Yeah. I put my resignation letter into cupcakes and passed them out at the office. Okay. You got to tell me how you did that. Well, because I, and I'm like, I, you know, I had to have a concept. I can't resign like a normal person. No. So, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I made little flags that said, it's my birthday. And on the back of it, it said, this is my two weeks. Thanks. You know, thanks for, you know, five great years or however long I'd been there. And um, yeah. And that's how I let people know that I was leaving. And so, okay. How was, what was the reaction? They didn't know. I think they were confused. Like, is this clever or is this like a F you? Yeah. Like they kind of didn't know, but I gave it with a smile. It really was the best gift I could have given myself. And it just, it made sense. Like I just couldn't resign like a normal person. Right. Right. But then I think the biggest thing, the biggest change was I moved to Chicago. So I left everything behind. I left my career and my city, New York, and friends and the guy I thought I was going to marry. And I moved to Chicago and actually landed a dream job right away and was settling into a new life. But I had this broken heart and I decided to 
make a new friend every single day for a year and document it as a social experiment. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's 365 friends a year. It was a leap year, but I... (laughs) (laughs) Let's make that clear. (laughs) But I also, sometimes I met more than one interesting person. So it was actually ended up being 412 people. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And you keep in touch with all of them? Some of them? It was about 10%. This is a while ago now. Um, But it was about 10% of the people I kept in touch with. I had in my phone. I would see. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. Did you have any other ways that you were thinking of quitting? Or was a cupcake like that? That was that was it. Yeah, it just came to me. I was like, "That's it." It felt very like Magnolia Bakery ish. It was was that era, right? Right. That was exactly where I got the cupcakes from. Yeah, the little Sex in the City kind of vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was two (laughs) thousand (laughs) seven. Finish this sentence for me. I do not fear blank. I do not fear change. And why is that? I think the excitement of new outweighs the fear of loss. I think I like change because I fundamentally believe that tomorrow will be a better day than today. Mm -hmm. So change to me is good because it's improvement. I I think I've always felt that, but I really experienced it when I left everything in New York and started over in Chicago. That, That move really taught me this. And even the creative sabbatical that I took, that was, you know... definitely a downgrade in lifestyle moving out of a you know fancy loft where I lived alone into a very bohemian space sharing a bathroom with five artists there you go Um, but I but it was it felt like it was moving in the right direction because it was what I wanted to do I needed to explore that even like my job now is change is built into it you know every three months I have a new team Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, they're very, they're wildly different from each other by design. And so that creates a totally different dynamic. And then all the projects are really different. We might brew and brand beer or paint a mural or do a documentary. So I think I've designed my life to be, you know, just to embrace change. Yeah. That breeds a different type of momentum. And that's interesting bringing disparate people. Mm-hmm people with disparate backgrounds together. That's, that's gotta be really interesting because I get the sense that, you know, you sort of have, I don't want to say a formula, but you have a process, Mm -hmm. but that process is probably pretty surprising. Yeah. There's definitely a framework, Mm -hmm. but within the framework, it's so different. Like even day to day, it's Mm -hmm. so different, let alone group to group. Let's go to the must list. What is a must do? A must do would be being part of a team of makers and bringing something to life. It's fine. It's so human to, to create. It's just a fundamentally human thing. Making something with someone else is an incredible bonding experience. Right. The word maker. Yeah. It gets tossed around a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of those, that's one of those like, oh, okay, you're a maker. What does, what does the word maker mean to you? Because you in my opinion, embody that. Yeah. There are some people that's like, I'm, well, I'm a maker. It's yeah. like, mm, eh. yeah. in your, in your mind, what is the true definition of a maker? I think, you know, someone that, that puts stuff out into the world. And actually I would say technically I make, I think it's how you look at it. I really facilitate, I facilitate mm-hmm. makers, but it's putting stuff out into the world, less talking, more doing. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We sure like to talk about making. What is a must experience? A must experience would be taking a risk, like quitting your job to pursue a passion, perhaps. Buy a cupcake. Yes. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's going down in history as yes. the greatest, maybe the, the greatest, if not the second greatest. I have a radio story of somebody quitting on the air, but that's yeah. so original. But please continue because it, it, it's, it's true, yeah. taking those big risks. It's, you know, I, I found that when I play it safe, nothing happens. It's yeah. only when I'm willing to take big risks that I'm rewarded. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's empowering. I think we oftentimes feel more trapped than we really are. And right. just kind of experiencing that it's not the end of the world. And it's actually very liberating. People who are risk averse. What would you say to them? To And here's where I'm going with this. So someone who's risk averse, you know, hearing this and saying, okay, well, it's very nice of you to say, and it sounds like you've done all these really interesting things. So, you know, I'd like to do that, but I don't know if I have the capacity to do that. How could somebody who's not necessarily inherently a risk taker prepare themselves to at least think about taking that big mm-hmm. risk? That's what I was going to say, too, because it's not being... There's a recklessness to taking risks or there yeah. are calculated risks. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's not about being reckless. It's I think planning helps kind of ease the the fear. Maybe starting off small, maybe quitting mm-hmm. your job is perhaps not, you know, and, and again, it's easy for me to say that, you know, didn't have a mortgage and, you know, right. people that I had to take care of. So right. it's definitely was easy in my situation when I've done that. I think starting off small and I think small can be it really depends on the person. Like I know someone that literally could not introduce himself to other people. So the idea of putting your hand out and and saying my name is was incredibly terrifying for him. Right. Whereas other people would be like that's so silly. I have no problem doing that at all. So I think it depends on the person but but finding out um how to break it down and maybe do small steps to kind of build up the confidence. What's a must read? Change by design. By whom? Say is a must read by Tim Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, this was my Bible when I was designing the program and I wasn't necessarily blown away by the thinking, but it explained a lot of what I intuitively felt. And so it was nice to kind of prove what I already knew and, and have it like packaged neatly. All right. That's really cool. What else do you read that is interesting because you had mentioned to me earlier that you had read this a while ago. So clearly you've read many, many other things since. What are some things that have, that inform what you're doing now? I read, I I read the news all the time. I wake up. The first thing I do is read New York times. I don't know how exciting that is, No, but it's I just, I, for some reason feel this need to know what's going on. I don't know if it's the election right now or what, right. but, but it is literally the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning. And it's the last thing I do when I go to bed. I find that I, during the day, I wish that I had time to peruse blogs more right. and just, I, I find myself when I'm like, Oh, I haven't done that in a while. I need to separate and make some time to do that. What's a must learn. I would say a must learn is emotional intelligence. I think the secret ingredient to a healthy culture is putting importance on emotional intelligence. So like hard skills versus soft skills. So hard mm-hmm. skills would be kind of what would be on your resume, your experience, what you've done, and the soft skills being kind of how you do it. Mm-hmm. So like the resume is what you do and the soft skills or the emotional intelligence is how you do it. And I'm finding that to be so important. I mean, 72 and Sunny values it and, and makes that a priority. But even just within work collaborating – you could have really talented people, but if you have one person that doesn't have emotional intelligence, it can really mess up the dynamic. What's the difference in your mind between emotional intelligence and emotional maturity? That's interesting. I think there's a lot of overlap. I think emotional intelligence is 
kind of consciousness, like self-awareness. I think maturity, that's interesting. I think I look at it. I look at emotional maturity as experience. Yeah. That's how I, I I think emotional intelligence is an effort that can be learned. Hmm. I think emotional maturity is something that comes with time. That's true. But there are some people that have a lot of experience, but still haven't like caught on, you know? Well, then that means that's the, that's the exact that you should try to get both. Yeah. What's a question you've never been asked that you would love someone to ask you? And what would the answer be? Doug, I'm so glad you asked me this. I would say I would love someone to ask, should I stop using the term guys to address men and women in a group? And the answer is yes. Okay. There's not a great solution, which makes this a little frustrating, but you can use friends or you all or team or people. I think guys, we think the term is gender neutral and it isn't. And I think Language is really powerful because it can be subtle and subversive. Mm-hmm. It's become my personal mission. And sometimes it slips into my vocabulary too, and I'll kept yeah. correct myself. But one of my missions to make an impact in our culture, I get people, at least the people that I come into contact with, to try to change that. So like, I'm hoping that all the people listening now, even if they don't agree with me, and I'm sure a lot of people don't, like, oh, whatever, it's right. what we use. No, you know, Women don't care. But... I'm hoping that next time they use it or they hear it, I will pop into their head (laughs) and they will think twice about it and it'll kind of just, you know, plant that seed. Is there going to be one word that, because you said you could say friend, you know, things that are in the current vernacular, there hasn't been that one lightning bolt moment yet. I know we need to figure out what that is, but are we going to force it? Do we feel like we have to force it? No. And and I don't, I mean, we could make up some weird word, but. Right. We're in, we're in advertising and creativity and marketing. We can come up, we can make up words. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's a good insight though. I think that's a, I think that's a good point. And honestly, it's innocuous to me, Yeah. but I didn't realize that it could be very destructive over and over and over again. Yeah. I think it teaches women to tune out a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Subconsciously. Interesting. Here's where I compliment you. We've known each other each other a while but we've you know we see each other kind of off and on met in can a couple of years ago what i've learned about you over time and talking to other people deb morrison being one of them by the way i've known her for a number of years oh really i've known her since the mid 2000s the words that come up connector energy vision passion what i learned about you also is that Though you have this focus, there is still a width and a depth to that focus. You don't go blinders. You go pretty wide. And then part of that thinking of going wide is the LA River Project. That's ambitious. You do a lot of ambitious things. And I think that what that says to me is that you're not looking through a fisheye lens. You're looking through a wide angle lens. And that's pretty rare because we get so caught up in da 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 that's the technical term for it, as you know. Um, but you look wide. And at the end of looking wide is a process that gets to something for the greater good in some way, shape, or form. That's what I've learned about you. And that's what I've observed about you. And that's what people say about you. So that's where I compliment you. Wow, Doug. I, I think that even tops my mom's compliment. Uh, <laughs> would you feel that's accurate? You know, it, I, yes. We're so close to ourselves that sometimes that sometimes we don't see what our capabilities are. And when somebody points it out, it yeah. gives us a moment to reflect and say, you know what? Yeah, I think I do that. Yeah. 
It's, it's beautiful. It sounds beautiful. Yeah, I will say that sounds accurate. It's nice to hear another person's perspective. I love how you're fiercely loyal to Los Angeles, too. Yeah. You're unbelievably fiercely loyal to L.A. I, I love that. How, do you, how does that make you feel, feeling as though that you're potentially doing things that will go for generations and generations? You know, I moved here three and a half years ago, and I love this city. Mm-hmm. As soon as I moved here, I'm like, I don't know anyone, but these are my people. And I think it's a city of passion. I think that's what it is. Like people move here for a passion, whether it works out or not is a different story, but people come here with a passion and that's what I find so attractive. And it's, it's also a city of optimism. Really, I've never felt more at home. I kind of get excited about doing things like contributing to the city and the future of it. Every guest of our show gets a chance to say whatever is on their mind for a minute or two. So without further ado, the floor is yours. Thanks, Doug. I would love to take this time to talk about 72. I've mentioned it a couple times, but I haven't really explained it. And it's a creative residency inside 72 and Sunny. And the goal is to take the participants to the next level creatively and professionally. So every three months, we curate a team of makers from all over the world And I affectionately call them wonderful weirdos, but there can be architects or engineers or filmmakers or writers or creative technologists, puppeteers. And we curate a team of makers, about six or seven of them. And then based on their skills or their interests, I design a series of projects that we all work on collaboratively. So the emphasis is on experimentation and collaboration while making things that matter in culture. So we do this three times a year. And the program is free for people who are accepted. We're going to do a session in our Amsterdam office. This is new. And the program is great for people that want to pivot their careers. Typically, people, we look for a craft and life experience. So people generally are in their mid-20s to mid-30s. And so I just want to put the word out, and they can find out information at 72u.org. Much like the must list, I'd like to share a bit of advice or wisdom with the audience to wrap things up. What is your last word? My last word is two things. One, the importance of doing passion projects or side projects and not being afraid to not have a clear trajectory. You know, how you get ahead at your job is what you do in the evenings and the weekends. Most of my professional success came from things I never got paid to do, and I just found time to do it, and I hustled, and all my disposable income went towards it, and I woke up in the morning and did it before work and after work, and eventually my side projects became my day job. So that's what I hope for, you know, just creative people in general is make time for your passions and stick with it, and eventually, hopefully, it becomes what you get to do for your job. It's always a pleasure seeing you. Always a pleasure to be here at 72 and Sunny. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 